when you show things to people, you can't judge your work on their reaction. You have to know that what you're doing, like if it's true to you, then that's enough. There's no reason to wait for the feedback. You need to be confident before that moment. Welcome back to Let It Out. You're listening to the podcast that I host. My name is Katie Dalebout, and I'm really glad you're here. Maybe it's your first time, and I hope that you go back and check out the nearly 300 episodes in the archive. And if you've been listening for a while, thank you so much. It means so much to me. This is my favorite creative project I've ever done in my life. It's given me so much. I've been able to travel in Europe for the last month. Really because of this podcast, I was able to hang out with locals and meet people who listen to this podcast and guests that I've had on this podcast. I was in London staying with my friend Joey, who did my podcast in 2014 in Amsterdam. I stayed with this very cool podcast listener named Veronica, who is a graphic designer who's so talented and a painter. I didn't actually stay with her, but I hung out with her the entire time. Anyway, we did a meetup in Berlin and we did a journaling workshop there, a picnic. It was very, very cool. This podcast has honestly given me so much and I'm back in New York right now. And it's really great to be back here rooting on an episode of this podcast in 20. 17, I had Ruby Warrington on the podcast. And maybe you guys know Ruby. She's written many books. And I consulted with her and helped her start her own podcast. I help other people start podcasts now. But Ruby told me then that Virgo season, September, this back to school time, she talks about this in that episode, is a really good time to start something. It's a really good time to make a new creative project get organized, put something into the world. And so that's why I decided to relaunch my workshop, Let a Podcast Out, which is about making podcasts. It's about helping people do what I call DIY podcasting. So not podcasting like This American Life or what you hear at NPR necessarily, but podcasting alongside the full-time job, alongside all of your other hobbies and making something with a friend or with yourself that you want to share with the world. Because I think making a creative project for yourself is wonderful and beautiful and you should totally do that too. But there are a few mediums like podcasting that really lend themselves to making something that should be shared and can connect people and make people feel less alone. And the greatest compliment I've ever gotten about this podcast was from my friend Carly, who said that she turns it on when she's at home cooking or getting ready for bed and wants to call a girlfriend, but can't or doesn't wanna feel alone. And she turns this on and it makes her feel better. And I know that there's been so much art and podcasts also for me too, that I turn on that do the same thing for me. So if I'm doing that for anyone right now, you're not alone. I'm sending you a hug and thank you. We didn't have an episode last week. I don't know if you noticed or not, but if you did notice, 
give me a hug. Send me the hug emoji on Instagram. Comment it on my latest post. I'm just curious if you noticed. Okay, on to this week's episode. It is with Los Angeles-based street artist, London Kay. She has a book that's out now that's so beautiful. And we talk about that in this episode, but she uses crochet to make these art pieces entirely of yarn. And she, it, this is just a light, bright episode. She brings smiles to communities around the world and has created a business of something handmade, something off your phone, something that's been around for a really long time. And it's ironic that she used to work at the Apple store. It's just a really lovely, beautiful episode. We recorded this at the Emerge Music Festival a couple months ago. I was in the Let It Out Little Space Lounge that my beautiful friend Kim had me in and got to do these eight conversations that we recorded live. London's is one of them. And I've been holding on to this one for a while, but it's just kind of what I needed to hear this week. And it's happy and bright, and I hope you really like it. So one of the reasons why there wasn't an episode last week was because I have a new podcast called Spiraling that I co-host with my friend and previous Let It Out podcast guest, Serena Wolf. It's an optimistic anxiety podcast where we talk about everything from social media anxiety, anxiety in our careers, anxiety in relationships, and how to communicate about our anxiety to other people in relationships. We have an entire episode dedicated to therapy. So give that show a listen. If you are an anxious person, definitely. If you know someone who's anxious, it will help you to understand them better. And you might just enjoy us laughing and swearing and just eating snacks. And Serena's so lovely and like a big sister to me and a really great friend in person. So listen to that. And I just want to tell you, thank you again for listening. I'll be back at the end with likes and learns, which are just a little segment that I do where I tell you something I've been learning and that I've been liking. And I'll talk to you guys then. I'm really loving this skincare company called BioClarity. They're a clean, green skincare brand that has products that just really work for me. Everything's vegan and cruelty-free, paraben-free, sulfate-free, and artificial fragrance-free. And they even have a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee. So you can send it back if it doesn't work for you, which is a pretty great thing to offer. And they have these skincare regimens that are really great and I've been using. I love their clear skin routine because I have oily breakup prone skin, but they have other ones that you can check out too. But it comes with everything you need to help clear up your skin. And it's more than just a cleanser. It gives you the cleanser. I, I just love it so much. It's helping me with redness and hyperpigmentation that I have from previous breakouts. So I really like that, even though I need to knock on some wood, but I don't have any active pimples right now. It's just really helped me a lot. There are three steps, cleanse, treat, and restore. And I've seen my skin change from, from using this. It seems to be a system that is working for me right now and you might want to try it. So if you do, check it out. You can go to bioclarity.com and for my listeners, you, you can save 40% on the skincare routines plus an additional 15% off 
everything on their website. This is an incredible deal. You just have to use my code, let it out at checkout. So again, that's 40% off skincare routines plus an additional 15% off everything on BioClarity's website. That's an incredible deal. And you just have to use my code, let it out at checkout. BioClarity.com, 40% off plus an additional 15% off everything on the website. You guys get it, check it out. Hi, London. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Me too. And first of all, thank you for my let it out sign. I don't know if it is it in the camera, Raphael? Um, it's okay. That's all right. That's all right. Above us, we'll do a, we'll show you in a minute. Can you show them now? Okay. We'll show you on camera. For you listening, London knitted us a let it out sign that's sitting above where we're recording right now. I did. And it was so fun to work with your like beautiful color palettes and just like style and design. It makes everything so much more fun. Oh my gosh. Well, like I said, I've been excited to talk to you since Kim introduced us. And I want to start at the beginning though. What were you like as a kid? Where are you from? Have you always been creative? I, as a kid, I was definitely creative. I came from like a super creative family. My sister, she's a stand-up comedian. My dad's a writer for children's cartoons. My mom's like an artist, painter, dancer. So, Did you grow up in LA? I grew up in LA. I was born like in Malibu and then we moved a bunch around Southern California. Parents now live in Santa Monica. But Wow. And so eventually... You moved to New York because I read that you studied dance at NYU. I did. I got a full scholarship for ballet. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, I've got to go. It's the most fun way ever to go through college, like dancing and New York. So that brought me there and I loved it. It's so different than LA. It was a very good experience. Yeah. So you were at NYU studying dance and then I'm assuming you thought you would be a ballerina? I didn't think I'd be a ballerina. I had an injury when I was younger that kind of like made me think, all right, dance maybe isn't for me, but I love it. Mm -hmm. So after college, I ended up getting a job working at the Apple store, which is like so boring. We've got a genius on our hands here. Really? You. You were an Apple genius. Not left. I thought you meant literally. Well, that too. (laughs) Not me. Very smart. Um, (laughs) I definitely am techie, but technology changes so fast. It's like every day there was something new. And now when people ask me how to reset their passwords, I'm like, I don't know, figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. I can imagine I go into the Apple store often. Amanda can tell you, I am not good with technology. So I, I could have, I, let me, let me give you a little taste of like the questions I've gone in for recently. Like one of them was I couldn't figure, okay, this is very boring. I'm not going to tell you, but the point is very minutia things that I'll go in there for. And they have so much patience. Oh, yeah. My, if my mom asked me a question about her phone, I am such an asshole. Like, I cannot be patient. To, I'm not good at it myself. So anyway, you're you're a saint for doing that work. <laughs> it, I wasn't patient before working there. And after, like, yes, I definitely am patient when it comes to other people and, like, helping them yeah. through things. It's like, I'll take all the time in the world. Well, it seems like a really similar skill to teaching knitting and crocheting because that's a really tedious thing that I, I've had someone try to teach me before. It's not gone well, but I have all the things at home and mm-hmm. I really want to do it. So maybe you can help me, but it is really tedious and takes a lot of concentration and something that you're so good at and is intuitive for you to teach that to other people must be challenging. 
It's challenging, but I take it as such like a learning experience for myself because I haven't, even though I crochet and like now have become super fast, proficient at it, when it comes to teaching, I haven't had that much experience. So I love those opportunities just to try to figure out everybody learns so differently and like using the right word to Mm -hmm. have it make sense or click. It's always very rewarding when that happens. Yeah. And it probably uses a similar skill set to the genius bar of that level Mm -hmm. of patience and seeing how you have to articulate things for people to understand. It's, It's a really sweet thing to be able to connect with people in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Like working there, I learned so many skills. Patience is one of them, but also like just talking to different people from all over the world and being able to kind of like figure out just how to connect with them instantly. And it was just like a really great, great job, even though I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. So you are in New York, you're dancing for school and you're working at the Apple store did you want to stay in New York? Did you, is that when you started crocheting and knitting or had you been doing that since you were young? I learned to crochet when I was 13. So I learned and I would sell scarves to girls at my dance studio. So like during the Nutcracker, I would make red and white striped scarves and like sell them. And they caught on. By the time I was 16, I bought my car with scarf money. So I always crocheted, but it was really like scarves. That was it. Um, How did you learn to do that? A friend's mom taught like me and a couple of my other friends on a whim. And for some reason, it just like, I really loved it. Wow. Is she still in your life? Oh yeah. She must be so proud of you. She is so happy. Like there's still some like our best family friends. So Mm. it's really exciting. (laughs) Okay. So you're, you're selling scarves. You're an entrepreneur. You're making bank with the scarf business. And then what, what happens next? college, life. I didn't really know what I wanted to do after school. So I was working at Apple and just started making like lists of all the things that like I love to do, trying to figure out my true passion. Mm -hmm. And it would always go like crochet, Photoshop, traveling, whatever. But crochet was always at the top of the list, even though I didn't really know what to do with it. And one night, really late working at Apple, an artist came in and she had a super cool crocheted bag. I didn't know who she was. I helped her set up her computer and then instantly like reprinted her receipt and Googled her name and discovered yarn bombing, which is like now taken over my whole life. Wow. So I think I read about that in this New York Times article that was written about you, which was so wonderful. But this person that you sold the computer to was actually a yarn bomber herself. Yes. And she's like a very fine artist. Like she does gallery work, crazy crochet. She does some yarn bombing. She doesn't define herself as a yarn bomber, but that's what she does. Like, Mm -hmm. so yarn bombing is when you take a piece of knit or crochet and wrap it around an object like a tree or a fire hydrant or a mailbox, something in the public space to like bring a little warmth and light to it all. So she was the first one that like expanded you to believe that that was something to show you that that was something you could even do. So then from there to the next steps of being so prolific as a yarn bomber and a crochet, do you start doing it yourself? Did she become a mentor in your life? Did you end up connecting with her? Definitely like is a mentor in my life. I got to work with her a couple times. Like right after I met her, I emailed her through her website and was like, I'm really fast at crocheting if you ever need help. Like 
and down the line, she definitely needed help. So that was cool. But I ran home. I had a pile of crocheted goodness just sitting in my, my apartment. And I took a scarf and wrapped it around a tree outside of my house in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. At that time, it wasn't like a very, the safest neighborhood. So I expected people to rip it down or it would get damaged or it's New York, it's gross, it rains. Like, mm-hmm. But the opposite happened. Like Within the first week, somebody reached out to me and said, me and my granddaughter stop at your tree every day. We talk about it and it makes our mornings. How did they know it was you? Did you have something on it that said your name? I always tried to sell my scarves on LondonK.com. So mm-hmm. I had like random scarves on my website. So I was like, I'll put a tag with my website okay. on it on the first tree. And because of that reaction, I was like, I'm going to do more. I'm going to give myself a 30-day challenge, and every day for 30 days, I'm going to put something outside, no matter what it is, and just see what happens. So mm-hmm. I started my Instagram account, started pretty much teaching myself to crochet through kind of this exercise, and developed my own style, and haven't stopped. And that was like 2013. Wow. Wow. So I think a, a bit after that, this article came out about you in the New York Times and you've been featured in Elle and CBS and so, so much more. Was there a moment where you felt like you reached some success that was like the first pinch me moment that you knew you're going to keep doing this and you ended up leaving the Genius Bar? Yeah, it was definitely when I was able to quit my job. So when I started, I was full-time. Maybe after a year and a half, I was able to go part-time which I think is so helpful when you're trying to pursue something you love. Cause I wasn't like forced to do something to pay rent. Like yes. I knew I could, I had you my didn't job have to put the pressure on the creative work to make money. Exactly. I think about that all the time. Mm-hmm. And like, if I put that pressure, I don't know if I would have been able mm-hmm. to make it through. Cause it is so hard. Like you want to give up. And I feel like every time maybe someone gives up, it's like, all right, I'm moving forward. Like I can do it. Yeah. But quitting Apple, I, crocheted a billboard in Times Square for Miller Lite beer. And thank you. It was just like such a big project. I couldn't go to work. Like I couldn't like greet people at the store when I had to like worry about a 50 foot billboard. Like, so how did that opportunity come to you with Miller Lite? I've been so lucky, like hanging up street art in New York. I put my tag and so many things just come organically through my website. People reach out, they'll see, like, I don't remember exactly what the billboard people Mm -hmm. had seen on me, but if I crochet a large snowflake, like a store reached out to me and was like, we're doing a new window display and your snowflake would be perfect. Would you make us 10? Like, yes. That's so cool. It's really old school, like the art itself of word of mouth and connection and, I'm sure you get people through the internet and social media, but this is really special. Would you say that now it's still, you probably get more through, but at that time, was it mostly through that sort of means of finding you through your work? Yeah. In real life? I definitely, (laughs) right. I definitely get more now through social media maybe, Mm -hmm. and that didn't exist back then. But I would say at least 50% of the time, it's like, I found one of your hearts in Union Square in 2015, and it's been on my desk ever since. I've been waiting for an opportunity to work with you. And then like, so it's really cool with the art because like, 
I love yeah. doing that. So so you're doing that billboard for Miller Lite and that's when you were like, I can quit my job. And tell me about that moment. How did that feel for you? It was like every excuse in the book. I feel like I was like, I won't have health insurance. Totally. I won't get discounts off computers. Like I have to work at home by myself all day. Yeah. So there were like so many things, but finally actually quitting I like yarn bombed the chair in the break room to make it look like an Apple watch Oh, that's <laughs> and like, was so like, cool. all right, I'm out. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Wow. Yeah. So street art is very male dominated. And I think I read that you've experienced some double standards in that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I don't know if I double standards. I don't know exactly. Like mm-hmm. I try to think of my art as really just doing it for myself. I would say when it comes to meeting other street artists, I am always surprised almost because I don't think about it every day. It's just like me doing Mm -hmm. the art. So it's more when I'm in like a group or go to like an art show and I'm around other street artists, I'm like, oh, I'm like way less of (laughs) the majority here right now where as I just approach everything is like, it's just... Right. Normal. Right, right, I assume right. everyone does it. Not everyone, but... Well, in the New York Times article about you, it talks about one of your pieces in Bushwick that you had to take down. And, you know, they, they say in the article that few would call Banksy's work gentrifying. But for yours, the genre of street art known as yarn bombing has been widely deemed as a hipster fad or dismissed as cutesy mere women's work. Which I think is so silly. Oh, yeah, Can you yeah, talk yeah. about that? Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> that's crazy that I'd never thought of that sentence quite the same way as you had. And like, it's so true. It's it, yarn bombing. It's not even looked at almost as right. a true form of street art. It is looked at more as a delicate thing your grandma does. Which is so and, interesting because what you're doing is really brave and daring. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe even more so than the other mediums because those are more... They're done more often. Yeah, you know? seeing more a traditional for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely being, I guess, considered a true form of street art. It is new though. So yarn bombing's been around since 2005. Are there other people doing it? Yeah, and it's getting more and more popular. Wow. But you are so spot on with it not really being considered like a true form of street art like the grittiness of street art or something like it's more sweet which Mm -hmm. I love but it is still daring and can you talk about that bravery that comes with it have you gotten in trouble and had to take things down and been like have do are are you like running from the police like tell me all the things (laughs) the one quoted in in the New York Times that experience by far was yeah maybe tell people listening about Um, that I had never had like trolls or haters or any of that, but what happened? So I lived in Bushwick at Mm -hmm. the time and it's a very gentrifying neighborhood. And on the corner of my block, there was a new street fair that just went in and they're like, we want some art. Would you make a piece of art for this wall? And it was like the biggest wall that I had ever had the opportunity to crochet on. So I was like, of course. Yeah. And I just went like blinders in, started to crochet, put it up. Turns out the owner of the flea market doesn't have the authority to be giving permission for me to put art on the wall. So I was kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah. But also at the same time was like, I don't know, used as the, the yeah, reason yeah. for it. Yeah, the scapegoat. Yeah. But I took the art down right away. I learned so many lessons from it. Like how well, what was the t- maybe tell people too, like what the problem with it was. <laughs> oh. People were upset that you were 
contributing to gentrifying this this area? Yeah, like the build the owner of that building had lived in Bushwick for like 20 years. Mm. And he was not okay with what was happening on his block. And it wasn't just a little bit of gentrification. It it was off the Jefferson stop in in Brooklyn. Like it's mm. very, very hipster as we talk. But he didn't like the direction it was going. So he wrote this big post on Facebook or Reddit and it went like viral. And that kind of was like the the start yeah. of it. Um, so you were saying you learned a lot, you took it down, Mm -hmm. took it down. And within like, even though I took it down, that didn't really change anyone's, they were still talking about it as if it was still up, but maybe after two weeks, it was like stopped on a dime. Everything switched. Nobody cared anymore. It was like, it's like the news cycle. I was like, okay. So I learned a lot about the art and what you put and where and how it needs to reflect the neighborhood and like the best way. And then also about like just the internet and what people say and you can't let that affect you or stop you. And, and you can't control it. Mm-mm. So what's been the most daring piece that you've done or do you have any other stories like that? I mean, some of it that goes into why I think maybe I've been able to make it this far is if I ever have an opportunity to do anything like that wall, like with CBS when I was on, on the show, they called me maybe at nine o'clock at night and we're like, do you have any pieces of art up around New York City that we can film tomorrow at 7 a.m.? Was this for the show The Village? Uh, no, this was just, they were going to air my interview on CBS. Oh, cool. And they wanted to do like a little teaser. Amazing. And instead of saying no, because I didn't, I was like, of course, <gasps> so you, you can out. find it there. So I stayed up all night oh making a whale, gosh. ran to like the Hudson River at like 5 a.m. where it's windy and blowing and freezing cold just so, you know, like you got to take advantage of these opportunities. It's not just them coming to you. It's like making sure it actually happens. So that makes me feel a lot less alone when like I get called for something like, oh, can you do this? And I'm throwing it together. I feel like that's being an adult and a person in the world. It's like a lot of times I know some people like that, that are always ahead and always have something prepared, but that's sometimes that's just impossible no matter who you are. Right. And sometimes I find that I'm best when I'm, it's maybe cliche, but busiest. Mm-hmm. You can take on so much somehow. Yeah. I always say the project takes however long you have. Totally. It's like, yes. without a doubt, you'll work till the last second, yeah. but it always gets done. And you did make the heart for the TV show. I did. Village. Can you talk about that? Yes. So The Village is a new show. Uh, that just came out on NBC and about a, char- a yarn bomb. The little girl in it is mm-hmm. one of the characters is a yarn bomber. The writer for the show, his friend did a piece on me for something a few years back. And he was like, all right, we're going to make this girl a yarn bomber. Mm-hmm. So yeah, That's she's so cool. 17 in the show and pregnant. That's yeah. not taken after me, but <laughs> <laughs> the yarn wow. bombing is so and you actually made the art that's featured in the show. I made the art for all the marketing campaigns. Cool. So the prop that's used in the show, I did not. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. really cool. Thanks. So, so you leave your job and you're living in New York still and, and yarn bombing. Do Are you teaching at that point? I left my job. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Where am I at in life? I just left Apple. Mm-hmm. So you make no. the watch on in the break room. Right. I actually really, teaching has never really been part of kind of how I usually get work. Mm-hmm. It's kind of something more that I'm getting interested in now. But back then, and still most of the time, it's working for different brands or clients 
that will reach out with custom projects that they want for either TV or advertising. And I really love that world. It's like fast paced, Mm -hmm. fast turnarounds. And I'm trying to think what the project was like right after the bill. Oh, yeah. Right after the billboard, I had another project lined up already in California. That was pretty big. And it was a huge mural of like the ocean. Cool. So that also made it easier. Jumping yeah. from like one project to the next, not worrying. Yeah. Are you um, still yarn bombing now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I should, I should have put one up here in Vegas, but I didn't. <laughs> How did you get so quick just by doing it so often? I use a really big crochet hook. So I use a 20 millimeter crochet hook. And that makes everything go like twice as fast, wow. at least. Also, you're just really talented and can. Nah, it's all single crochet, the most basic crochet stitch. Like that's all I do for everything. So it's no like fancy techniques. Um, it's really just layering shapes on top of each other. Wow. Do you still do it now as something cozy and for fun on your own? Or does it really feel like work? Did it take that element away f- for you when it became your job? I love to crochet more than anything. So like those days that I can just crochet, whether it is like a project or a yarn bomb, um, I love it. Yeah. Sadly though, if crocheting, like if I did just crochet, I wouldn't be able to have like a business. Right, right, There's right. the emails. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. I taxes like and the things. Yeah, this you know. is the best part of doing a podcast. Right. But there's all the other the, elements. All the other things <laughs> yeah. that, you know, take yeah. you away from it. So that stuff is more what kind of takes your time. Or like makes it less fun. Like Totally. Yeah. So eventually you move to LA. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about that. Is it, are there challenges to doing, I'm sure there's different challenges to doing Yarn bombing there. The weather's a little better, but there's it's more spread out. Yeah, why did you decide to move back? I because I grew up there. I always wanted to move back. I was in New York for ten years, and it had been a long time. Um, our apartment. I was living with my sister. She moved out there later, and our building it it got sold. New ownership. Mm. Everyone had to leave. We were like, okay, let's go back to LA. So it's been, I mean, it's definitely You go back together? We don't live together, but we move back at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, but you're still yarn bombing and traveling yarn bombing. Yeah. Yarn bombing, it's really cool. Actually, I like it in LA now because I live in the arts district in downtown. And it reminds me a lot of Brooklyn. And like, I love, I've done this in every neighborhood I've lived in, like saturating the area you live in because you get to see the art yourself and then like your neighbors and the people like start to recognize it and know it and love it. And it's really cool. So So yeah, I've been there like a year now and finally like people are really starting to like embrace the crochet, which I love. So cool. Do you feel like crochet and these sorts of getting back to like tactile things is having more of a moment right now because of our relationships with technology and social media. Like I just, I find that dichotomy of you working literally at the Apple store to then going to do, doing what you're doing now is so interesting and wonderful. I don't know. Do you, what do you think about that? I think there's been this movement with so much DIY And Mm -hmm. I wonder if like almost unconsciously we're all doing that because we're starting to use our phones more. But I like riding the subway, everybody across from me is on their phones Mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there making, 
usually a tomato or something random, but it's like the most beautiful way to pass the time Mm -hmm. and just like keep your phone down. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think it's like the perfect time. This movement's already started and I think it's just going to continue with crochet, knitting, macrame, embroidery, all of that is just becoming so much more popular. Yeah. What is your relationship with your phone and social media? In my head, I'm like, I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, Um, same. (laughs) Because, so you you are probably the same. It's like for almost what you do, you're required in a way Mm -hmm. to be on it. So I fight inside a lot because I'm like, I cannot be on Instagram right now. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm not like maybe looking at other people's pictures, it's like, I just feel, I don't like it. It's anxiety provoking for me to figure out what I'm going to post and to, I've talked about this before, but Instagram actually on the podcast makes it so your photos get different amounts of likes to keep you wanting more. To So even if you post like the same photo three times, it purposefully changes that. And it's designed to make us feel uncomfortable or to, to not feel uncomfortable, to be addicted to it. So it's like, I don't know. It's just really interesting. Yeah. No, I I completely, I didn't know that about the numbers. Yeah. Isn't that funny? (laughs) But the pressure part and like starting out, there was no pressure of what I was making. Like it didn't matter if one was better than the next. But now I feel like if I'm posting something on Instagram, it's got to be, you know, the best thing I've ever done every single time. Yeah. And it just, it gets to be a lot and I'm trying to figure out. But that's the thing. It's not, you could post, it's not that the knitting that you posted in one picture is so much more terrible than the other one or eight likes less than the other one. It's just that like people aren't seeing it and it's the algorithm and they're like, they're actively doing this to like make you, if they all got the same amount of likes, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't care about checking it. You know, it's so, it's just so fascinating. Like so we don't, fascinating. we've been talking about this a lot in these conversations. Like we don't know what this is going to be doing to our brains. Right. And I like to think if Instagram went away tomorrow, we'd all still be fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, pro- it'd be fine. Maybe better. Probably. Arguably better. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, the second <laughs> act of this this podcast is sort of quick fire questions I, I talk to everyone about. Okay. So I warm you up with an easier one and then oh, they get I'm harder so from this. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. Best thing you've eaten in the last week? Corn. I like uh, like Cuban corn. Oh, yum. I had some last night. It was great. Amazing. Do you have a favorite piece that you've made? Yes. Is this the second rapid fire? Mm-hmm. Oh, that did change. Yeah, they're not quickly. so bad. No. <laughs> I crocheted a dragon on 6th Avenue and 14th Street. And oh, cool. the fire, crochet fire, went for like probably 40 feet. And it stayed up for like two weeks. And then it came down. Like someone takes the art every time, pretty much. So somebody took it. And people in the neighborhood came back with ribbons saying, who took my dragon? Where's my dragon? Wow. And it was just... It was so sweet. So what, what is the process with that then? You put up a piece of art, people take it down. Do you ever get like, are there laws about it? Like, are like, have you ever gotten like in trouble with the police? Like, I don't, I'm not, I, I'm just so unfamiliar with street art in general. I, because it's yarn, mm-hmm. I do feel like it's great because I'm not actually hurting people's property. Mm-hmm. So whenever I go if it's on someone's actual like fence and I can ask someone, I always do Mm -hmm. because I don't, it's not worth it. Like if someone's there and then wants it down, like Mm -hmm. I'd rather not do it. 
So I try to ask if it's a construction site or something or no one's around. I don't ask, Mm -hmm. but I always have scissors with me and I tie, I use chain link fence. I tie it up on the fence, trim the strings, put my like hashtag and Instagram and then I'm out. But it's not hard to take down. Oh, it's so easy to take down. If somebody wants it, they can have it. But people like tend to, I would say the average piece today's up is like two weeks. Why do you think people take it down? Is it like, what makes sense if it's a construction site and they're putting up a building? But in that case with the dragon, people want the yarn? I tell myself people love it so much they can't live without it. But on, I don't know. People have stopped me before being like, I took the Batman emblem off of your uh, yarn bomb once oh, and so it's hanging take, in my basement. Cut it off and take it. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it, got it. They can physically take so like... So they're not destroying it when they take it down. Right. Got it. See, I'm just learning how it all works. So you've never gotten like legally injured. Like, have you ever been putting something up and someone's come up to you and said you can't do that? Yes. I've been stopped by the cops like four times out of maybe the 500 yarn bombs. And only one time did they actually watch me cut it down and like wait for me to leave before they left. But I've never gotten like seriously in yeah, trouble. They got the, bigger fish to fry. Yeah. So a nice lady making beautiful art. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The one that we talked about earlier from Bushwick with the flea market, that was by far the worst, yeah. you know, situation yeah. I've gotten yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite part of your life right now? I do love living in LA. I yeah, have... Talk to us about LA. I really... I'm back like close to my family, which... My sister only lived in New York for two years. So being there by myself, I didn't have any close family there. So that makes just like such a wonderful difference to be back for like those little, like things like Mother's Day or like you aren't going to fly home necessarily Mm -hmm. for Mother's Day. So like things like that, it's really nice, graduations, whatever. But also my space, it's like a live work loft. And usually like if I've ever had an art studio, it's like separate from my apartment. Yeah. And it's just so like I got it all set up like it looks like a yarn shop on one side oh, and like so cool. it's I really love that. It's fun. You can have there. more space there. Mm-hmm. Spread out yeah. and like and then I because I'm in like downtown area I'm like close to the fabric district. I've got like still the New York ish vibe. Oh I love that. Since we're at Emerge, what's a song you're listening to right now? What's a piece of music that you're liking right now? Can I even say this here? I love the me by Taylor Swift. Oh my gosh. When I heard that for the first time, it made me cry because the, I don't remember what the lyric was, but it was like something like, I don't know. I just really identified with it. It made me really like happy and sad. Same. And the the guy from Panic at the Disco, like what? I love it. The music video is amazing. It's a sugary delight. So anyways, that's my guilty pleasure I love currently. It. This is the second time Taylor Swift was brought up today in these interviews. Really? Yeah. Not for recommending a song. That was about her voter registration and how it was like a push. It was more in the activism conversation, but still. Second Taylor Swift reference of the day. Shout out. Yeah. What is something that you're afraid of, but you're doing anyway? I get really nervous putting attention to passion projects that I don't know if they're going to pan out. Mm. So like outside of crochet? No, still in crochet. Yeah. <laughs> but like I have like wanted to try to like manufacture bags in some way, like just get better at like building my own store and my products on my store and like managing my website in that area has always been something that just like makes me so nervous. Mm-hmm. 
And like slowly, I'm finally, I'm never going to stop trying to do that. Yeah. But it, it just scares me. And I don't know why, because not many things do when it comes yeah. to crochet. I, I'm like that too. Like public speaking doesn't really scare me, but like figuring out how to like book a flight and like technology, like the figuring out my website can be like very overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just bizarre. So you get a lot done. You're a productive lady. Do you ever feel overwhelmed and disorganized? Have there been any productivity tips that have helped you? Yes, I absolutely feel overwhelmed <laughs> sometimes. But productivity wise, I mean, I guess if you're like an artist or like have your own job or business where you don't have anybody like telling you what to do, I felt at the beginning was like, I didn't need to wake up. Like if I wanted to, I could sleep until noon and nobody yeah. cares. So trying to set like hours in the day, like if I work from like nine to six on like the emails, presentations and crochet work that has to do with paid work. Mm -hmm. And then before and after that, I can work on fun. That's been pretty helpful for me, but I don't use a calendar. I don't, wow. I'm not good. I've never used like a yeah. schedule yeah, notebook. Yeah, yeah. I just... What's your life like? Like, what's a typical day like for you? We always ask about like the first three things you do when you wake up mm. in the morning, the last three things you do at night. In the morning, my ideal way to start the day would be like, wake up, brush my teeth, wash my face, go for a run. Because if I don't do it right at the beginning of the day, it just gets pushed off, mm -hmm. pushed off, pushed off. And I love running because you don't need to follow anybody else's timetable. You don't have to drive. You can just like go and start. Yeah. And then after that, coffee. <laughs> Are you a breakfast person too? No, I wish. I just heard if you eat a really big breakfast, it's like the best way to live. Really? Yeah. Man. Are you a breakfast person? I love breakfast food, but I don't really eat it in the morning that often. Yeah, same. Yeah. Who doesn't love breakfast? Food? Right. What about in the evening? What are the last few things you do? How do you shut down at the end of a day? Usually the ends of my day after I get home or whatever I may be doing, that's when I really do like crochet for fun. Like even if it's not a yarn bomb, I'll just like play and do fun things. I'll also clean because I get so messy with all the yarn. I usually like have to full on like tidy up twice a day yeah. just to like stay organized. That's a good productivity tip. Yeah. Just keep a clean workspace. Yeah. And clean <laughs> the night before so you don't have to wake up to Exactly. A mess. I love that. Yeah. Like I'll sometimes clean up my mess at like 1130 at night. Yeah. So it's a, that's a good activity to do in the evening mm -hmm. when you don't have brain space because I feel very focused and like I have juice in me in the morning and then it just starts to diminish all day long till the end of the day. I've got nothing, but cleaning doesn't take much brain power. Right. And it's like boring. And if you don't want to do it, go to bed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. That's a good thing to put you to sleep. What right. are you working on right now that you're really excited about? I, I have a book coming out. Amazing. Like, yeah. Can yeah. we talk? Let's talk about that and tell um, people all about your book. Oh my gosh. So it's coming out in September. Amazing. This will probably be out close to that. Great. Because it's like the process start, it takes so long. So long, yeah. So by time like getting to this point, it's like done and ready. And I'm just so stoked to see like a printed copy you can hold. Yes. Was that like such a cool feeling? It's a cool, it's a cool moment. It's, I, I've talked about this before, but I'm like, I thought everything would be amazing when you see your book at Barnes and Noble. And it's like, it's just like what Jim Carrey always says. He's like, I wish everyone would get rich and famous so you can realize it's, it's not the key to happiness. And so you see it and you're like, 
it's so wonderful and beautiful. And I think the thing that I am so excited for you, it's no small thing to write a book, but I think the thing that I thought that like everything in my life would change and I would feel amazing. I'm like, oh, no, I just, I did the, you're like, it's a moving target. You know, right. like as soon as you're like, I'm ready for the next thing and the next thing. But there's so much anticipation around the book. And I think the really nice thing about it is like, it helped legitimize my work in a way that like my mom understood what I was doing and like where she didn't understand social media or podcasting in the same way of like, oh, that's a tactile thing. And it's just, it's no small thing to write a book. And I didn't mean to minimize it at all. It's just like, isn't it funny the accomplishments in life that we're always on to the next thing? It's, yeah, I talk about that all the time with my sister. It's like, you forget that what you have was like your goal for years. Yeah. And like, but yet you're yeah. still anxious and nervous and worried about what's next. I know. So anyway, don't yeah. do what I did. And like, really breathe in your book and take it in and enjoy every moment. So tell me about the writing process and what's it about and all the things. Well, so it is a like how to crochet book. So like super basics of crochet. And then the other half is inspiration photos of like my work. So cool. So it's probably a beautiful coffee table book. Oh yeah. It's a coffee table book. It's like hard cover. It's pretty big. And the part that like I didn't expect to enjoy so much was going through and picking out my favorite pieces and getting to write these stories mm, and like yeah. realizing where I was in my life at that time and oh, why. So, so it's almost like a beautiful magazine photo essay. I hope so. Yeah. That sounds great. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. So yeah, I'll was, send you one. <laughs> it probably felt like a scrapbook almost of looking back over your life and Definitely. And when you're like making things and doing things so fast, like when I do yarn bomb, like sometimes I'll spend less than a day on a piece. So getting to like digest what the process was while I was making it, I don't think I even do that when I'm making it. So it was really cool. What are you most curious about right now? I love, well, you brought up like Apple and technology, how it's so weird. So I'm not a fan of these phones and the Instagram and the screen time, but I am a huge fan of just like technology, 3D printing. I got a patent for a crochet hook I created using 3D printed technology. So I love that. I love crocheting with like Ethernet cables or weird materials and just mixing technology and crochet in unusual ways. Oh, I love that. Okay. Greatest lesson on creativity. I'd say you can do it, but that's like kind of basic. Greatest lesson in creativity, trust yourself. Also, when you show things to people, you can't judge your work on their reaction. Yeah. You have to know that what you're doing, like if it's true to you, then that's enough. Like there's no reason to wait for the feedback. Mm. You need to be confident before that moment. Yeah, I love that. Greatest lesson on family. Call them, (laughs) see them, (laughs) be there for them because they're there for you. Greatest lesson on romantic relationships. I don't have any. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) And next question. Um, Greatest lesson on friendship. Oh my gosh. The friendships now that I cherish just like are the you've had I've had for so many years. Like the people that I've grown up with who have been there through everything are just like the people I cherish so Mm. much in life. So taking time to manage those like really old relationships. Yeah. Just those mean so, so much new ones too, but the make old new ones. friends and keep the old. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> okay. This is really just a way to recommend things, but let me know your favorite book, music, podcast, 
food, TV show, anything. It can, doesn't have to be all those categories. Okay. What are you liking right now? They can be all-time favorites or current things. I've been listening to the audiobook Sapiens when I've been driving. So is Kim. Ah, yeah, we were just talking about that book. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, it's fascinating. And she listened to it while she was driving too. Yeah. It's a fun, I like listening to books when I'm driving. Yeah. It's a good way to like absorb that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's awesome. Just hearing about how we are and why we are what yeah. we are. And music, I love classical music. I love just being able to put on classical music or like funky, weird music I've never heard of on the radio yeah. is sometimes fun. Yeah. Podcast, obviously yours. Oh. Nice. There's, and then like the normal ones, How I Built This. Yeah. Great podcast. And there's like a fiber park podcast I love. Cool. So they have podcasts for everything. Now. Yeah, they really do. Okay. Well, this podcast is called Let It Out, as you know, and we talk about letting out soft stories. So these are the vulnerable, tender, real stories and that I believe bind us and connect us and make us feel less alone. So has anyone shared something with you that's been vulnerable and tender that has made you feel less alone or helped you? And you don't have to out their story, but have you just experienced that that you can talk about? It's a great question. I'm like, try. I know I have an answer for this, yeah. but it's like, yeah. It's, so somebody who shared something with me. Yeah, that made you feel seen and less alone. It's hard to think of on this spot. <sighs> oh, it's so beautiful though. Seen and less alone. I think... Being around other people who are doing daring things makes me feel like, okay, if they like things that I could never do. Yeah. There's a musician who, oh, we're at a music festival. This yeah. Perfect. Um, who, like a friend, performs on stage, gets up there, sings her heart out. Mm. And I'm like, how do you even do this? Yeah. Like, and just being able to see other people do things that I don't have any skill in whatsoever makes me feel like, I don't know why, but like anything is possible. I feel that way looking at you having a skill that I don't have. Thank you. Yet. Maybe after your book. True. (laughs) True. Or after today. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that you wish that I would have asked? Did I squeeze you for all your juice? You squeezed me. (laughs) Well, I hope I can like squeeze you forever and give you lots of hugs because you're lovely and I'm excited to be friends. Me too. Thank you. So we end with a deep breath. We let one out together. You ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. Inhale. And let it out. (sighs) That was my episode with London. If you liked it, send us each a yarn bomb. I think there's a yarn emoji. That's going to be the emoji for this week's episode. So comment that on London's Instagram. Comment it on mine. Let us know you're still listening all the way to the end. And speaking of the end, this is not it. But I, I already told you the emoji. So that's that. I'm not actually sure how effective a strategy the emoji is at keeping people listening until the very, very end. You know, I know it works for my friend Sasha, who she's like my second mom and she listens every week and texts me the emoji. Hi, Sasha, which is lovely and works for her, but I'm not sure how many people actually are like, I'm, I'm going to stay through the ads just to find out the emoji. So I don't know. I might, might, might rethink this, but okay. Likes and learns. So last week on the podcast, I guess it was two weeks ago now, I had the founders of The Chain, which is a nonprofit supporting people in recovery from eating disorders. And it was a really watershed episode for me. I had my friend Rose, who I was traveling with on in the intro, and we talked a bit about eating disorders and our relationships with our bodies and eating disorders. And it's just really complicated and 
can be very hard and lonely. And I mentioned this definition of normal eating on that episode, I think. And I've read it here before. I'm pretty sure Isabel Fox and Duke gave it to me in an early episode that she did of my podcast. She's been on my podcast more than three times at this point, and I'm sure she will come back again. Her work is very meaningful to me. And this definition, it's not hers. It's from a person named Ellen Satter, who's written many books, who I don't actually know, but I think was influential to Isabel. And Isabel is the first person who told me this definition of normal eating. And it's always stuck with me. And I might read it again on a future episode. I know I've read it before, but I'm going to read it today. And I guess this will be my like, because it's been on my mind. And if that episode from the chain resonated with you, I wanted to read it on there and I forgot. So here is that definition. I'm going to read it verbatim because I love it so much. Normal eating is being able to eat when you're hungry and continue eating until you are satisfied. It is being able to choose food you like and eat it until you get truly enough of it, not just stop eating because you think you should. Normal eating is being able to give some thought to your selection to get nutritious food, but not being so wary and restrictive that you miss out on enjoyable food. Normal eating is giving yourself permission to eat sometimes because you're happy, sad, or bored, or just because it feels good. Normal eating is mostly three meals a day or four or five, or it can be choosing to munch along the way. That's what I usually do. It's leaving some cookies on the plate because you know you can have some again tomorrow, or it is eating them all now because they just taste so wonderful or they're warm or something like that. That's what I always think of there. Normal eating is overeating at times, feeling stuffed and uncomfortable, and undereating at times, wishing you had more. Normal eating is trusting your body will make up for your mistakes in eating. Normal eating takes some attention, but it is only one important area of your life. In short, normal eating is flexible. It varies with your hunger, your schedule, and your proximity to food and your feelings. I really love that. And I think years of chronic dieting and our society takes us away from this. And I can sort of pinpoint moments where I've been really normal with food and moments where I've been very, very disordered and I vacillate between them. And I try to come back to this definition. So hopefully it's helpful for you. Share it with a friend. I'll put it in the show notes. I might read it again on a future episode. I I read a story I wrote for the Emerge Festival that I read on stage for a variety show that Whitney, who's done my podcast, curated. And I might read that live on a podcast episode coming out, or maybe I'll put it on the Patreon page if you guys want to hear that essay. I'll read it aloud. But I include this definition in that essay, and I talk about when I stopped being a normal eater in that essay, which is sort of interesting. So that's the little like and learn for today. I'll also give you one more. I guess this was my learn and my like is this book that I started reading called, I've got it right here, Attached, The New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love. I honestly have not really read much of it, but this book got recommended to me four times while I was traveling. 
And I was like, yeah, 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 okay. I'm like reading other things right now. And then on the fifth time that it was recommended to me, my friend Joey, who I was staying with in London, just handed it to me and was like, you should take this and read it. I just finished it. So I have her copy. And now I'm like, did I already say this on a podcast? I might have already recommended this. (laughs) And I'm sorry if I did. I'm still reading it, obviously. I can't remember if I said this in real life to a friend or if I recommended it on here to you. But I'll just, just in case that's already been recommended, I'm also rereading Eat, Pray, Love, which is a delight. So there you go. All right, you guys know skincare is very important to me. (laughs) And I've had a tumultuous relationship with my skin. Maybe you guys don't know this, but in early episodes, I had several acne experts on because I have been through it with my skin. When I was in high school, I had really bad acne and then went away. And then a couple years after college, it came back again. And anyway, I don't try a lot of products and test a lot of things on my skin because it is so sensitive and... I just can't take the risk, you guys, but BioClarity is something I truly, really love. Their clear skin routine is for combination oily and breakout prone skin like myself, and that's what I use. And it comes with everything you need to keep my skin clear. And their ingredients are really, really clean and lovely. There's a three-step process that treats, cleanses, and restores your skin. And it feel I can really feel the difference. I'm taking this with me. It calms my breakouts when I get them. And they have all sorts of other routines too. They have an essentials routine for normal or dry skin. I just think they're great and I I would love for you guys to try them. They have this three-step regimen that's full of detoxifying and calming nutrients and you can tell by the texture of these products that it really gives your skin you can just tell you're doing something healthy for your skin basically by the color and it help, it's been helping me with redness and hyperpigmentation because I have a lot of that from previously having acne. So you can just tell by the natural color of these products that it's really just going into your skin. So check it out. I think you guys will like it. I would love for you to tell me what you think and if it helps you with your skin or just makes your skin even better than it already is, go to bioclarity.com. And right now, you guys, my listeners, are going to get 40% off of skincare routines, plus an additional 15% off everything on their website. That's an incredible deal, but you need to enter my code, let it out at checkout. So again, that's 40% off their routines. That's like almost half off you guys and then an additional 15% off everything on their website so go to bioclarity.com to get 40% off skincare routines plus the 15% off everything on their website and use my code let it out at checkout I love you so much and thank you so much for listening if you want to start a podcast let me help you if you want to sponsor this podcast if you are a brand or if you are a entrepreneur, a coach, or if you have something that you want to share and sponsor an episode of this podcast, we can talk about that too. Send an email to amanda at katiedelbot.com. She can help you with that. We can help you start a podcast with our workshop. I love you. Listen to Spiraling support the sponsors. I love BioClarity. It's really working well for my skin right now. And I think you guys will be into it too. And therapy, try therapy. BetterHelp is who I love and use. They're not even sponsoring this podcast episode in particular, but check them out. 
All right. Love you. And I will talk to you next week.